is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 93, operating on September 6, 2021. This is Drew and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Doug. We're two av geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Doug, we both had some upset recoveries this week. <laughs> Explain what that is and what you had to recover from. Well, uh, right now I'm having to recover from a lack of sleep because of all my what 3 20 a.m buses for 4 a.m briefs for 6 a.m sims waking up in the middle of the night to go to work yeah and it's not over uh, i've got five more sims coming up until i'm done with training and four of those are 320 buses mm-hmm. yeah so I, I i have to recover from that but what you're referring to is i had quite the crazy sim the other day the faa now I, apparently it's because of the Colgan air crash. If you remember the dash eight in Buffalo yes, back in yep. 2009, mm-hmm. the pilots did improper recovery procedures after they stalled it. So the FAA now requires everyone who's going through commercial training for a type rating for an airplane to go through an entire four hour block where they put you in those situations. Uh-huh. Drew, one, one of these, we were like upside down, nose down. Oh my goodness. And we had to recover the airplane. And we did. We didn't. We didn't over G it. And then this is what's awesome. This is so cool. Does it wait? Does it feel like you're upside down? I, like, I mean, do you the feel sim, the G's. The sim. No, you don't. The sim can only tell so like much, 45 right? degrees. Can only do mm-hmm. so much. But I mean, in the recovery, you're you're shaking and everything. Yeah. But are are you familiar with a like a G force diagram? I don't know. It, some of our listeners, yeah. like Gr- Greg, the engineer, is probably. Basically, it's like, here's one G, zero Gs, and then what stress you put on the airplane. And then it tells you where the, where the uh, airplane limits are. And then where the structural limits are like, Hey, this is where you're going to rip a wing off. Each of these recoveries, my instructor took a picture of the screen, we recovered, and then he showed us and said, look, you guys were right, right where you needed to be in the envelope. Okay. I know it seemed like a lot. You went to like zero Gs or two Gs in this recovery. Yeah. But you're not even bending metal. That's crazy that the like, plane can withstand that. That exactly. and you're not even at the edge of the envelope. Yeah. And and some of these, like one, we were 20 degrees nose down mm-hmm. and we oversped like a banshee. Yeah. But even though we oversped the limit, we never hit the structural limit. Because now, when you said you oversped, is that with the flaps down? Like when you overspeed? No, so I mean, this was clean. This was clean. So we're, oh, okay. uh, yeah, we're, we're at like 350 knots or something, like oh some crazy, you know, because you're pointing at the ground, you're trying to pull out of it. So yeah, you're, you're going to have to overspeed <clears throat> because you can't over G the airplane. Otherwise, the wings rip off. So now, this, is well, it I, like, is it like a Cessna where if you let everything go, it may recover or no, not? No, no. Not, not not that type of stability, but this okay. should make all, all of our listeners feel better that your pilots are going through this training. It's required. Yeah. All all commercial pilots are required to go through this. Well, yeah, I, I said that on a previous episode, just talking to you every day about your training. I feel so much better uh, sitting in the back of the plane, knowing what you guys go through just to yeah. get in that cockpit. Yeah. And my, my evaluation today was four hours of engine failures. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And we, oh we got, we got evaluated on that. we we would have to go to remedial training before we went to the next part of training next week if we didn't pass the the evaluation today. So now, just, are the are the engine failures as um, dramatic as on the DC-10 or on a? 
No, so here, here's the thing. They're not as dramatic, but the rudder on the 7.3 relative to the size of the airplane is so much bigger than the DC-10. The DC-10, mm, okay. the DC-10's rudder, of course, is bigger than the, the 7.3 rudder, but compared proportionally. to the, proportionally. So when I did my first V1 cut, which is what we call an engine failure, like right as we're just before we rotate, yeah. I went like full rudder on this thing and my nose just went like this and I went like <laughs> sailing off the end of the runway. Yeah. And the instructor was like, yeah, you boys coming from heavies, <sighs> you barely have to like breathe on that rudder. So, I mean, that that's part of what this week was, was just mm-hmm. this repetition. Just used to it. You just have to figure out, hey, all it takes is a little bit of rudder to keep the airplane going straight when you lose So if engine. you go to a 777, proportionally, that's similar to a 737 it in is, terms but, of rudder. But do you remember what that retired 777 pilot said on the show last year? Or earlier this year, I can't remember. The triple seven <laughs> does it for you, <laughs> <laughs> right? It does it for you, and it also uh, makes it sure you don't it, have a. It does that. It and does everything. Make sure you have, you. don't have a tail. Um, a tail strike. Tail Apparently, strike. we learned that. Yep, <laughs> it's not an issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> that, okay, so not. I mean, talk about upset recoveries. That was your week. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, I wasn't the only one who had an upset recovery this week. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. For those of you that are listening, I use Doug as my sounding board when I'm just want to scream at something <laughs> and then he'll calm me down. It was a horrible, so when I say horrible, I just mean it was a very crazy work week and it's mostly due to these craft charters Yeah, and it's something we have to do, but it's a lot of hours and we don't get extra people to do it. We're doing it with what we have. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I said, you know, you work for an airline when it's dark outside and when you're going into work and it's yeah. dark outside when you're going home. Yeah. <laughs> So for me, it was light outside, light outside. When I was going, right? <laughs> and then it was light outside when I was going home the next day. <laughs> yeah. And you weren't planning on it. No. It's, it's different when you're not expecting it. No. I mean, I, I probably didn't have, well, you know, no, I had to stay because this was the beginning of the craft ferries back to Germany. Mm-hmm. There's so many infinitesimal things that can delay that flight. So I'm glad that I was there. I was out at the plane and the things that you don't think about, like the number of crew rest blankets, mm-hmm. the number of meals we need, because it's not regular passengers. It's people that are translators and a few medics going on. Mm-hmm. It's not catered like a regular flight. So all these little things have to be right. But now we got it. Now we have it all set up um, just in time for them to be over soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put, put, put that in a binder and on the shelf for next right. time though. Yeah. Here, here's a recovery, Doug. So I went to visit my mom for her birthday, took her out to dinner. Mm-hmm. This is an aviation show. I'm not going to bore you with, with that, but I will tell you that I met up with Ian, who is on the show. Yep. And Ian is doing his international jet setting. <laughs> so he he's in LA. He meets me in San Francisco, hangs out with uh, my family. <clears throat> and then he jets off to Dublin, of course, as yeah. one does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we stayed at the Grand Hyatt. In Those views look oh. awesome. You guys, if you're listening, stay there. You're right next to Highway 101 and A350s right outside, but it's so quiet. You don't hear anything. It's so peaceful. I took a bubble bath and my view outside was, what was it? A Cathay Pacific 777 300 and China. It's like, this is this really happening? Yeah. And then we we brought our cocktails from the bar. So I was having... (laughs) At the bathtub, I was having a uh, paper airplane cocktail. Okay. I don't know. They do it at the United Club and they did it at the Hyatt uh, SFO Club. Okay. So yeah. I, th- I guess it's a thing. Oh, and I also visited the uh, the new Alaska, the new Alaska Airlines Club. Club. Yeah. How was that? SFO. It was amazing. 
beautiful views, huge club. And uh, for you Alaska flyers, yes, there is a pancake machine there. I did not break it this time because I didn't use it. <laughs> Can I mention something that's um, that will annoy the Av Geeks? Yeah. Probably only the Av Geeks. The windows where we're, you know, we need those windows to take our pictures have little dots for, uh, you know, for, to reduce the glare or the yeah. sunshine. Yeah. Well, that reminds me of the Centurion in Miami. It had the Amex plastered all over the mm-hmm. window. Oh, God. Yeah. Why? <laughs> and when, when we finally get you to Detroit, the Sky Club, uh, the Sky Club's in Detroit that overlook mm-hmm. the runway or the, the tarmac. Yeah. Dots, dots on the windows. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. They're not thinking about the Av Geeks. This no. is like one of those things like the JetBlue, beautiful new mint cabin. Facing Chairs away from the away from- <laughs> Drew, imagine if that new alaska club in seattle with those great mm-hmm. runway views had dots on the windows how terrible that would be oh that would right? be terrible yeah. yeah forget about the the you know the semi-professional photography that we do yeah all right be- before we move on to the next thing i've got yeah. a 30 second story i'm at my, my at my parents house family yep. friend of theirs is here he's uh, an a330 captain retires yep. next month mm-hmm. his daughter and and her husband are here too and they said dad you have to tell the story the story about your worst landing ever at, at the airline that you fly for. And he said, okay, yeah, I was on the 727. We were flying from Fort Myers or Myers, <laughs> Fort Myers. Okay. RSW RSW to Orlando, really mm-hmm. short flight. And he said that there was a space shuttle that was supposed to be launching right around the time that they were going to be arriving in Orlando. Okay. So he, said that he and the captain kind of delayed the push and mm-hmm. delayed the takeoff from Fort Myers so that they would hopefully time it. And he said that they were on the arrival into Orlando uh-huh. and the shuttle popped up through this cloud layer. Wow. And oh he said God, it was like, experience. it was amazing. So they requested from approach, they said, hey, can we do some S turns so the passengers mm-hmm. in the back can see? Orlando said, do what you need to, let us know when you want to resume the approach. Yeah. So he said they did like three or four big S turns so that people on both sides could see the shuttle launch. Oh my so God. it was amazing. He said it was the worst landing of his career in Orlando. Mm-hmm. He said that the captain made some comment about like, yeah, I, I wasn't sure if you were ever going to fly and you never did. He said it was like a, you know, a three point landing, basically like both mains and the nose gear touching down at the same time. They pulled into the gate and the captain goes, you know, it's okay if you keep the, keep the, the flight deck door closed until everyone's off the plane. <laughs> and he said, no, I, I really have to own this. So he opened up the door and he went back and, and he was ready to take his licks from the passengers. Yeah. He said not a single person mentioned the terrible landing. All they said was, thank you so much for doing those turns so we could see wow. the space shuttle. And so he's a captain now, you know, wide body captain. He said he tells all of his co-pilots, if you're going to have the worst landing of your career, at least make sure you show the passengers <laughs> the a shuttle launch shuttle. <laughs> before you do it. Yeah. Or show them something magnificent. That's going to change our life. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now I, I know the whole episode can't be our small talk here, but I, I have one more. It's our fault for having fun jobs, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is a good segue. Another A330 story. So I work in uh, Washington, D.C., and we have all these charters with the refugees coming. And mm-hmm. it's not just the U.S. carriers. There's a bunch of other foreign carriers like yeah. Gulliver, um, Doug, have you heard? Have you ever heard of such a thing? Gulliver is that an yeah. airline? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I didn't know. <clears throat> so it's an airline. These the pilots could not transmit their flight plan to ATC. So of course, when they don't know who to ask for help, the airport finally calls us because we're the biggest carrier, 
and I apparently have all the answers or I know how to <laughs> Google better than most people. So it's like, can we bring them down? Can you maybe try and help them out? I'm like, absolutely. I'll see what I can do. So the two pilots come down and they show me they, they can't transmit to the tower. So I call the tower. And I'm like, hey, they can't transmit this to you. Can they send me an email? And can I send that to you via email? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it has to transmit through through that, uh, probably through AMHT or whatever system that takes those and then transmits it to the FAA. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, let me try this. Why don't you send me an email? So they send me an email. I MacGyver that email and then turn it into this computer system we use. You know what it is? The weight and balance system that yeah. we use, that we also send messages, ACARS yeah, messages ACARS. and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> it also sends meters. So I, I transpose the email into that. And they, <laughs> So you filed, you filed for them. Basically. I was so close. No, it's not. So this system is not that, even though it looks like that, you know, that we transmit that they transmit to. So Mm -hmm. didn't work. It says invalid address. So then I called our dispatchers. Can you help, help me get this flight plan? And they're like, no, we just sent to enter it into our dispatch computer, the Saber system or whatever they use. Mm -hmm. So they just type in the numbers. They have no idea how it gets to no success. I'm home now and I, I can't let this thing go. So I called, they called Potomac Tracon and mm-hmm. they told them a code to enter in their laptop and it went through. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Now coming back to this airline, this airline um, operates the A33200. I Googled it and that is their only, that and an ATR72 are their only planes. Two planes. Two planes. They're from uh, <laughs> they're from Bulgaria. Interesting. And um, you know our triple seven three hundreds that we're using to uh, to transport the refugees have about three hundred forty seats, which mm-hmm. is a lot, right? Huge. Yeah. This is an A three thirty two hundred. Two hundred. So the small. Um, guess how many seats it has? Four hundred. <laughs> no. Three hundred and twenty six. Okay, so just shy of a triple seven three hundred. Yeah, and, and then here it's like. 30% shorter. Yeah. All right. And I, of course, I'm curious. I'm like, where is this plane coming from? So they're flying refugees from ROZ, which is Rota Naval Station Airport in Spain. In Spain. It's close to Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been there several you times. Have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's a naval um, air, air base yeah. station. Yeah. It's awesome. It's, it's right on the, right on the Atlantic ocean. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's my story. And then I, I was just going to tell you this, my trip back from SFO, but then I had to tell you this, uh, this, cause it was too good. <laughs> oh, one more thing. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I just called Dean, uh, Dean at the uh, airport <clears throat> just to find out what happened. And he said, Hey, they wanted to make you sh- make sure you knew that if you're ever in Sophia, come see him. <laughs> so we have well, an invite yeah. to Sophia. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to look on board this plane. How how they fit 326 seats on an A330-200. <laughs> I just want to know how that how you do that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you, you mentioned that you flew back to the East Coast or, or you flew out to California and back to the East Coast. But let's talk about where you actually went. You went to Burlingame. Most people probably have <laughs> yeah. no idea where that is. You flew back to Chantilly. <laughs> yes. Most people probably have no idea where that is. We chuckle about the in-flight entertainment welcome displays on flights to Newark saying, enjoy your flight to New York City when it's actually, as we've said before, Elizabeth, New Jersey. Drew, this is going to be a great segment (laughs) because I did a lot of research too, and we're going to talk about this. Are Uh there any other airports that are close to where customers think that they're going? Yeah, this is... 
you know, I remember the comedians in the eighties, one of their, I remember one stand up comedian. Um, and you know, I always remember the airline jokes, right? So I remember he was talking about what's up with these airlines that take you kind of close to where you want to go, <laughs> like from Baltimore to Oakland. <laughs> so it's not from DC, not DC to, to San Fran, <laughs> which, you know, the people who live in Baltimore and Oakland, what are they chop liver? You know, mm-hmm. those are cities too. I'm imagining myself at London Heathrow. I'm looking at the departure monitors of all these magnificent cities. I'm uh, by the way, London, <laughs> London Heathrow is not close to London itself at all. No, not at all. It's like an hour or two, right? Right. Uh, but I would like to thank London Heathrow for uh, recognizing the hamlet of Heathrow that they destroyed in 1944 to make room for the airport. So there's not <laughs> anything, any part of that left except the name. So thanks for remembering. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. But I digress. So back to the monitors where I see the great cities of the US listed. As I tell you where I think I'm going, tell me where, tell me where I'll actually be landing. And disclaimer, most of these airports have an official address that shows the main city name, even though they're far from the city centers. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm looking at the screen, Doug, and I'm seeing San Francisco. And I think you already gave. Yeah. Burlingame, seven, 17 miles away. Burlingame, California. <clears throat> and we have a listener, uh, Russ, who lives in Burlingame. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get him to come over to our airline and be like, hey, we can take you from Burlingame to almost anywhere nonstop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm looking at the screen. Um, so I see San Francisco right below it. I see Washington, D.C. Yeah. And we, we mentioned this Chantilly, Virginia, 24 miles. Chantilly is beautiful, by the way. So that's yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a great area. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How about Denver? Where am I actually going? I'm going to fight you on this one. I, I I've, got, I've got the screen up right now. So well, I did some research last night. It's okay. Aurora. <laughs> 24 miles away but technically if you google denver city mm-hmm. limits and I, what, what did i call this last night uh gerrymandering airport gerrymandering <laughs> it is there, it literally the city limits of denver follow the highway from what you think of as downtown denver all the way out to the airport 24 miles yeah. and it passes through aurora and thornton and all these other small towns so it yeah. technically te- Technically, it's still Denver, but it takes you 45 I, okay. minutes to get to the city. All right. Technically, it's Denver, but geographically, it is not Denver. It's more Aurora. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and it's the same with San Francisco. When you Google it, San Francisco Airport, it has a mm-hmm. San Francisco address, address. even though it's, it's in Burlingame. Or, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and then what, right. what's, his, what's his next one? Because this gerrymandering is even worse. This is, uh, this is so it's pretty far away. Chicago. Where am mm-hmm. I going? Really? Yeah, it, it's Rosemont, but mm-hmm. there is a tiny strip that follows one road through all of the suburbs <laughs> from Chicago, so that O'Hare is technically in Chicago. Well, the, yeah, and that's because you know the main city wants to have control of the airport that well, serves them. So of course- yes, that. But be, I, I've got some other U.S. cities before we talk about the European cities. Yeah, I will say though, if they called it Burlingame International Airport. No mm-hmm. one has no idea what the metro area is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like my right. Marissa, Marissa lives or grew up in Parker, which is a suburb of Denver. Mm-hmm. But you can just say, yeah, I grew up in, in the Denver region. You know, it's oh, yeah, the, everyone. the name, the name, it's the region, not necessarily the the city. Well, so when I travel and I'm talking to people on the plane or in foreign countries, I say I'm from Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. And you probably stretch for you, but you probably, if you're in a foreign country where they don't know Sacramento, you're probably in the San Fran area. Exactly. Mm 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here, here's more that I found. Dubuque. Okay. We've talked about Dubuque, my hometown. Mm-hmm. The airport is in Key West, Iowa. Have you ever heard of Key West? I've never I mean, heard of Key most West. Most people have never heard of Dubuque, Iowa, but at no. least, you know, Key West is a town of like 300 people. So, so even Dubuque's airport even Dubuque's is airport. not in, yep. near Dubuque. Okay. Next one, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, that's a metro, you know, it's sharing two of the, the twin cities. Yeah. The Minneapolis, the actual Minneapolis uh, city limits proper and at the airport. They couldn't even oh. like, and there's, there's no gerrymandering. It's like, okay. it ends at the airport and it's in Bloomington. Okay. So they, they couldn't have extended down to the airport. I mean, oh, that's I, I'm going to show you, look at this. Like the city limits literally are on the North side of the airport. So, so it doesn't include the airport. No, no, huh. it, it stops at the airport. The next yeah, you one, wonder because how, so Bloomington is the air, the city that it's in. Mm-hmm. So then you wonder, does the little city of Bloomington have the resources to oversee and that airport. I mean, that's probably, that's another topic. Yeah. <laughs> that might be more like New York where it's the port authority mm-hmm, who right. also does Newark and things like that. So like there's a okay. greater regional thing that, that right. There's like one of these quasi public private entities. That Correct. Yeah. Manages it. The next one, where is Seattle? International Airport, Seattle Tacoma <clears throat> International Airport. I looked that up because I thought that might be one. It's in yeah. the city of SeaTac. SeaTac. Yeah, they created and, and that for the airport. They created it for the airport. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, all right, we talked about O'Hare. I'm just scrolling through this. Detroit is way outside the city limits. It's in Romulus, Michigan. Okay. Yep. So there's another one. Uh, moving on, we've got what is this? Uh, Atlanta is in College Park. Okay. Um, Houston. Big gerrymandering. Inter- Intercontinental is actually in Houston, but it's way on the north side of town. Again, gerrymandering, all, all these mm-hmm. squiggles going up there so they can count it. This is a good one. Savannah, uh-huh. Hilton Head International Airport. Yeah. Hilton Head is an island in South Carolina, 45 minutes away. Okay. So you fly into Savannah, Hilton Head, you think, oh, I can just Uber to my hotel in Hilton Head, and you're going to end up paying a $300 Uber going from Savannah, but this is the most egregious. And we love this one, mm-hmm. Melbourne, Orlando <laughs> international airport. Yeah. Drew, we looked this up last <laughs> night. Guess how many miles this is. Wasn't it like a hundred miles? It was 69 miles, but it was an hour three to get from okay. Mel- Melbourne, okay. Orlando international airport. And mm-hmm. guess what airlines mainly serve Melbourne international Melbourne, is Orlando. It it's like spirit. So okay. you've got spirit customers who think they're going to Orlando who are traveling inexpensively right. and then they find out they have to pay a $200 shuttle fee to get, to get to Orlando. Right. So how much, how much did that $29 ticket actually cost you more <laughs> than it would be to fly American Delta United? Right. And all that extra time. Yeah. All right. So do you have any more? <laughs> no, that's it. <laughs> that's so great. All right. So, so listeners, if you think what, what Doug just mentioned, if you think those are a stretch, just wait till you hear how far some, I'm, I'm laughing because some <laughs> yeah, of these, these so are ridiculous. awesome. Yeah. Uh, just wait till you hear how far some of these European airports are from their namesakes. Doug? All right. Stockholm Vesteris Airport. Drew? <laughs> oh, okay. It's 62 miles from <laughs> Stockholm. It's, it's a Ryanair it's hub. Ryanair is famous for that, this. That makes sense. All right. This gets better. <laughs> Oslo Trope Airport. 
66 miles from Oslo. This is not a big country. So 66 miles is a lot for them, more than us, probably. Um, You got to go by train and it takes an hour and 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Memmingen, which is Munich West. Memmingen, Munich West. 70 miles away. That's an hour and 20 minute bus ride. And uh, they have flights to France, Germany, Italy Italy and Belgium. All of which are a shorter flight than your bus ride to Memmingen, Munich West. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this this next one I've never even heard of. London Ashford, seventy three miles away. It's on the English Channel. It's actually closer to France than London. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making this up. So that's their version of Melbourne, Orlando. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so I, I've I've heard of this next one. I didn't realize it's this far away. Frankfurt Hahn. 73 miles away. Um, there's no, not even a train. It's an hour, <laughs> train. It's an hour and 20 minute uh, bus or car ride. Ryanair and Wizz Air, of course, use the airport. Some of our flights are from Han, HHN, the ones that are coming with the, the um, refugees. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yep. Okay. It's one of those. And then the, the last one, I've never heard of this, Paris Vatry Airport. A whopping 98 miles <laughs> west of Paris. <laughs> Two hours by car, and it's convenient to Disneyland Paris, which is also not in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we think we're bad. These European airports are just, I mean, this is ridiculous. And I, at some point, it's false advertising. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So now I have one more. Um, so one more. So Tokyo Haneda. Let's give them credit. I see Tokyo Haneda on the board. Where am I really going, Doug? Uh, you're enjoying your flight to Tokyo. Yes. Haneda is actually in Tokyo. Yes. Yeah. It says Ota city, but it is like a little district of Tokyo. It's not far from Tokyo at all. It's not. No, if if you've seen like aerial pictures, downtown is just North. You said you've been there, right? I have not. I've been to Narita, not Haneda. Yeah. When we start up again, um, we will be flying to Haneda. So hopefully Mm -hmm. sooner than later, it would be great to be so close to Tokyo. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm sure most of these airports could barely support CRJ 200 flights, much less be alternates for Heathrow or De Gaulle. Speaking of the CRJ 200 or the chariot, as we call it, <laughs> looks like it'll be getting an airline retirement package or as hauling packages in retirement. <laughs> What's this all about, Drew? Yeah, when I saw this, I immediately thought of you because I know you have a a hate-hate relationship <laughs> with the CRJ 200. No, but you're going to be happy about this. You know, the faster we can move them over to being cargo planes, right? U.S.-based carrier Air Wisconsin has added its first freighter, a CRJ-SF. So this is a converted uh, freighter uh, done by Aeronautical Engineers Incorporated. They will soon offer, Air Wisconsin will soon offer this aircraft for charters and long-term leases. Air Wisconsin is saying um, the airplane will have a large cargo door in the front where the passenger door is. Mm -hmm. And... The CRJ-200 right now is the only regional aircraft with an approved cargo conversion STC. Do you know what that stands for? I had to look it up. Mm, something conversion. Small transport? Um, no, close. Uh, su- well, supplement supplemental type certification. Oh, okay. Never heard that. Yeah. Did you see it, See the picture of that? I did. It, it, it looks interesting. It's their true Air Wisconsin livery, which is green and orange. Yeah. So yeah, because they're not operating for anyone else. Yeah, so I'm I'm all for this. You know, the faster we can move these CRJ 200s to uh, freighters, you know, when you think about it, during Christmas and busy times, they can these can supplement the MD 11s and the 67s on shorter domestic trips. Yeah, well, if FedEx has ATRs, 
their yeah. ATR ATR cargo planes and and Cessna caravans and and things like that. Right, this no, is better, it's faster. Yeah, this is great. Well, and and we saw during the last year during COVID how cargo has become this huge thing, and it's not going away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. With yeah, Amazon, exactly. with Amazon doing all of their own or contracting out to to Atlas and other airlines like that. No, yeah. this is this is huge. Next story, billionaire Lucio Tan's Philippine Airlines files for bankruptcy in U.S. mid-pandemic-induced losses. Philippine Airlines, controlled by billionaire Lucio Tan, made its much-anticipated bankruptcy filing in the U.S., paving the way for the restructuring of the flag carrier and mounting losses. The restructuring plan provides over $2 billion in permanent balance sheet reductions from existing creditors and allows the airline to contract fleet or contract fleet capacity by 25%. Under the, the plan, Philippine Airlines will raise $505 million in long-term equity and debt financing from its majority shareholder, Tons Group, and an additional $150 million from new investors. Philippine Airlines currently operates just 21% of its pre-pandemic flights. Volume tumbled from about 30 million passengers in 2019 to 7 million last year due to pandemic restrictions. Lucio Tan is worth $3.3 billion as the third richest person in the Philippines. Drew, um, I, I don't think this is the last international airline to declare bankruptcy. We've what we've talked about Aeromexico, we've talked mm-hmm. about Latam, we've talked mm-hmm. about Virgin Australia, all these all Italian. We like we in the US are having this travel renaissance, if you can call it. Europe is getting better. Asia the world, Asia, Australia, Africa, they're still hit really hard. Yeah, I mean. Singapore Airlines has basically no traffic because all their traffic is international, right? Mm-hmm. Just one segue that uh, on this, we talked about the uh, the departure monitors. Yeah. I grew up in San Francisco. So when I was Burling working at <clears throat> Burlingame, yeah. yeah, that was my first job working yeah. at Burlingame, <laughs> Burlingame International Airport. So we used to laugh that uh, at, in the departure monitors in Manila, Daily, you know, Daily City, right? Yeah. Daily City had a huge Filipino population. And it's close to to it's SFO. Just, yeah, it's just yeah, just to the northwest. Yeah. Yeah. So we used to joke. We used to be like in the monitors at Manila Airport when they're it getting says Daily flight, City. It says Daily City. <laughs> 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 it should. That's where they want to go. Yeah, they, they and they know that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, so this is one of these airlines, Doug, that has so much local traffic, right? going all over the world. Mm-hmm. They should be hugely successful. They yeah. should be more successful than Singapore Airlines because they also have the O and D traffic. Well, there, so there's, there's huge Filipino populations everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. So, but you know, they're, they are making a good, you know, they're still in the game at SFO. We saw an A350 departing Philippine Airlines mm-hmm. and uh, Ian was telling me they're flying from LAX to Manila and Cebu, nonstop to Cebu in a Cebu, seven or an Really? Yes. So they're trying, okay. they're, they're doing a good job trying to make it work. So and they're staying in the game. I should have looked this up before we recorded. Do you know, are they off the FAA's safety list? Well, they must be if they're flying here. Well, no, no, no. They, so it's, uh, we talked about Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. How Aeromexico and, and Viva Airbus and, oh, and all those can't, they, they can't add new service, but they can right. continue their existing. I know that the Philippines were on that list for, for the last couple of years. So I'm curious if they're off that list now. Yeah, good question. We'll have to. Circle back because that, <laughs> right. that might that uh, honestly thinking about it that might be one thing that's impacting them from becoming that Singapore from becoming yeah. that that Cathay Pacific is they they can't add new service because usually Europe and the F- EASA and the FAA 
yeah. typically have the same lists, meaning if they can't add service to the US, they also can't add service to Europe. Yeah. The other thing is this Lucio Tan is the major stakeholder in Philippine Airlines. I don't know if billionaires are the perfect people to run these airlines. Are they really airline people? Are they really passionate about the industry? Because there's billionaires in India that um, what was the airline that failed? The one that um, um, yeah, uh, Kingfisher. Kingfisher. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully he can make it work. I'm surprised that these people are still investing in Philippine Airlines, but maybe they have a really good uh, recovery plan. They yeah. definitely have access to traffic. It's just making mm-hmm. it work. All right, next story. So this is uh, from our buddy Tom Polini uh, from the Business Insider. Gulfstream just debuted its new $75 million ultra-long-range plane that's also the world's largest purpose-built private jet. Meet the G700. That's the article. Purpose-built is important because we know Boeing makes the BBJ. The Airbus has yep. one too for the, the A319. Yeah, but those aren't purpose built for business traffic. They're purpose built mm. for airlines, and then you know they modify yeah. them. So the first G seven hundred with a completed interior is on a global demonstration tour. The first stop is Doha, Qatar, on a visit to Qatar executive as the aircraft's launch customer. This is a division of Qatar Airways. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. that these people don't don't yeah. own. Like <laughs> well, I, I mean, they got rid of their seven forty seven dash eight. So they needed a G. Oh, okay. So they're downsizing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Check this out. So the new Gulfstream flagship can fly up to 7,500 nautical miles at speeds of up to Mach 0.925. Correct me if I'm wrong. A 787 only flies at like Mach 0.88 or something like that. Yeah. So it's faster than that. And 7,500 nautical miles will take it nonstop San Francisco to Singapore. Mm -hmm. So some of the longest airline routes. Any city pair in the world is also accessible in a one-stop journey. Non-stop flights between cities such as New York to Johannesburg, South Africa, London to Santiago, Chile, Hong Kong to Dallas are achievable under the right conditions. It's taller and wider than the Bombardier Global 7500. That's based on a CRJ um, CRJ 200, I believe. Uh, I think it's the 700. The, is it 700? Yeah, the Challenger is based... Well, actually, the CRJ 200 is based on the Challenger. They okay. just extended it a little bit. But then the Global Express is is more or less a CRJ 700. 700, okay. Mm-hmm. Which is, um, yeah, it looks similar to that. This one looks a lot sexier. It looks like sleeker. And Did you notice there are two overwing exits too? No. I, I think on the G650, which is the, the previous new mm-hmm. version, I think it's just yeah. a single overwing exit. So that shows that it's expanded wow. its size. Yeah. All right. And this aircraft is configured for just 15, but the G700 has a maximum capacity of 19 passengers. And owners can have as many or as few seats as desired. So, you know, we we focus on the airlines and, you know, planes that normal people like us fly. So there's a little taste of, uh, I don't know, if we're really corporate, successful. Corporate if life. I work a lot of overtime, I might be able to buy one. Or Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, good luck. <laughs> well, my, my dad brought up a good point today. He said, if you're going to buy a G700, why not just buy a Boeing business jet? You know good what question. I mean? <clears throat> from, from, from a size. If you have that much. Yeah, if, if you've seen the photos of a BBJ on the inside, you've got like mm-hmm. full bedrooms, like huge right. suites and lots of space. You I, know, I, Doug, said, I would even I would go buy a used 767 or, you know, it comes down to, much to less. operating costs, though. That's oh, the thing. True. I bet the G700 is a mm-hmm. lot cheaper to operate than a BBJ yeah, just sure. from a fuel burn standpoint, from a maintenance standpoint, from a crew standpoint, all of that. Right. 
But you know, if I'm buying an old 737 from the desert and it's 30 million, I got 45 million for fuel. That's true. Yeah. All right. Any more on that? No, no. (laughs) Getting back to normal planes, there's hope that the United Pratt and Whitney 4,000 power 777s that were grounded may fly again. One of them, November 777UA, has been repainted in United's new Evo. Can we call it new anymore? It was like 18 months ago now at this point. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's not new, but for uh, the updated. Yeah. We we can call it the updated Evo Blue livery while in storage at Victorville. Those Pratt & Whitney powered planes were grounded for the engine inspections after the failure in February. We talked about that at the time. Right. So this is from Aviation Magazine. Our friend uh, Greg referred us to the story. So not a lot of detail on when these are going to come back in service, but um, from uh, this magazine, they're saying FAA Administrator Steve Dixon says the FAA will require Boeing 777-200 aircraft with Pratt & Whitney engines to strengthen the cowling and structure around the engine to prevent any similar incidents um, similar to the one in February in Denver. And on that one, um, the cowling came off and things mm. were exposed. And uh, Dale loves the smell of, oh, Pratt, yes. Yeah, yeah so my, Pratt and Whitney my, guy. my dad just walked in. He's got no, a Pratt Whitney you. mug. Yeah, no, no, we have to mention this because Greg is this general electric freak. Mm-hmm. And I have been flying on Pratt and Whitney powered engines for most of my life because that's what our airline uses. Use, and, yeah. and I've got they've gotten me where I need to go safely, reliable reliably, but anyway, I, I digress. They got to strengthen the cowling and the structure around the engine. The timing of the requirements and release of the airworthiness directive will be dependent on engineering and design work that will need to be reviewed and approved by the FAA. Doug, now let's uh, let's do as we normally do, go way too far into AvGeek territory <laughs> with uh, November 777 UA. <laughs> yeah. What do we know about uh, November 777 UA? which uh, looks like it'll get a new lease on life. Yeah, so November 777-UA was the first 777 to be delivered to an airline in May 1995. It was the first 777 in service, operating from London to Washington in June 1995, which is more than 26 years ago. And this is the crazy thing, Drew. This is the aircraft's fourth livery. Yeah, so many coats of paint on it. (laughs) Through its life, it's had four liveries. This is yeah. a piece of aviation history, and AvGeeks would love to say that they flew on it, right? <laughs> you know, I thought this would be a no-brainer. Um, I can tell you personally, I'm very hurt by these results. <laughs> As am I. Yeah. <laughs> because to, you know, to be able to fly on a piece of history, it, you know, you can say you were on the first 777. This plane, you know, changed aviation. Yeah. It, it, two engines, you could fly anywhere. Well, and no. let, let me interrupt. Yeah. Class. We're not okay. asking them, do you want to fly on this airplane? Ever. Only this airplane for the rest of your life. It's right. Would you rather fly on this one time over what the other piece of the question is? Yeah. And I'm telling you, I'm going to read the results. But if if it was the first 747 versus a 787-10, they would take it 100%. Different. Yeah. Yeah. So the 777 is like the Rodney Dangerfield of airplanes. It's like no respect. Yeah. No respect. The question we asked was, would you fly the first delivered 777-200 November 777-UA or a brand new or a new 787-10? And these so-called Avgi came <laughs> back with <laughs> only 47% said that they would fly the 777. 52% said that they wanted to fly the 787-10, which is going to be around for 20 to 30 years. You have all your life to fly that. Okay. So I've got a question for you. Mm-hmm. what's the what's the seat configuration on this plane oh, are you serious well no no, no are not, you gonna not, ask me the color no, of the carpet something no no i'm I'm saying is it 
have they updated it with Polaris or is it the old? Okay. All right. Next. No, 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 no. <laughs> Again, not, not for me, but I'm, uh-huh. wondering, I'm wondering. No, it hasn't been updated. No, it has not been updated with Polaris. It has okay, 28 so seats. I'm it's the glorified if... DC 10 Hawaii version. It's yeah. the triple seven a. So I'm wondering if some people are answering this saying it's not going to be that great of an onboard experience. Again, I'm not saying that this is what I would decide. I'm just saying, I wonder if some people are looking at it that way. Yeah, but they're choosing mood lighting and electric um, window shades over history. That Yeah, that's very true. Okay, this is what these jokers said. Ryan Kaufman in North Dakota, he said, new paint on an old bird, eh, not enough to convince me against the interior and atmosphere of a Dreamliner, short haul or long haul. Short haul. So he's saying he wouldn't fly this from, he would rather fly the 78-10 from Chicago, 45 minutes to, yeah. from Chicago, uh, sorry, from Bloomington. No, mm-hmm. no, uh, <laughs> Rosemont. Rosemont, from Rosemont to Aurora, then he would a triple, uh, the history. Really, I don't get it. And then Greg, really, I mean, Greg Peterson, who um, directed us to this um, aviation maintenance story, he said, I picked the 787 over the 777 because, number one, I've flown on a 777 before, and uh, I've never flown on a 787, and it has <laughs> one and B. Yeah. One, I've flown on a 777 before. B, <laughs> uh, that 777 doesn't have GE90 engines because he's that <laughs> GE90 engine freak. I mean, what can you do? We, you can, we can guide them, but we can't. You know, we can't tell them what the right decision is. So yeah. I can tell you, I mean, when when N triple seven UA comes back in service, I will make it a point to find that plane and fly on it and check that box. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure I've flown on it, but I I, I don't have any records. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm gonna do a real quick digression here. My one of my sim instructors the other day was furloughed from the airline that we're at back around the financial crisis after 9-11 and spent nine or 10 years as a delivery pilot for Boeing. He was, oh, wow. he was checked out on the 737, the 787 and the 777. So he would he would do delivery flights for all these airlines, deliver the airplanes, kind of like the delivery flight that you were on. Right. Though, I, though I, I think it was the crew for the airline that you work for that, that flew that delivery flight. But mm-hmm. he was saying, if an airline was taking an airplane for the first time, so let's say Austrian, when they got their triple sevens, the, their pilots weren't fully checked out yet. So mm-hmm. he would actually fly the delivery flight with them to satisfy the EASA uh, requirement for certification for the first pilots, who then could teach the, the new people. He said that he would spend a month flying the 737 and then spend a month flying the 78 and the triple seven. Mm-hmm. And every month he would alternate which airplane he was flying. He oh, said it was it. an awesome job. He's he's glad oh, okay. he's back at the airline now, but he said that in, in the interim, it was yeah. such a great job. Well, yeah, and you're flying with these people that are ecstatic about getting a new airplane every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one more little tangent before we leave this. So this was the first delivered 777-200, mm-hmm. delivered to a carrier. The first 777-200 that an, that an airline actually flew was the prototype it's um it was bought by Cathay Pacific Cathay. and it's yeah. mm-hmm, it's Bravo Hotel November Lima and it's currently at a museum in Pima so we should go visit it yeah and uh, that's the first one. yeah in, in uh Tucson just south of Tucson <clears throat> mm-hmm. the Pima Museum yeah yep and it's still in the Cathay Pacific livery yeah that's awesome I I've heard that's a great museum we we definitely have to get there sometime. you've been there Dale yes all right that, uh, by the way <laughs> Doug's father Dale is is here so he's uh 
he's the audience. So when he's laughing, I know my our, my jokes are really bad. Or they're really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to something a little bit more somber, the November 777 UA is definitely part of history and hopefully we'll see her in the air again soon. Speaking of history, we're approaching September 11th, which will mark the 20 year anniversary since the terrorist attacks on our country. We learned of a former flight attendant. His name is Paul Vento, who barely missed being on one of the flights that went down on September 11, 2001. Now he's planning, actually, he's in the middle of, of doing this. Mm. He, pushing a beverage cart from Boston to New York City to honor his colleagues who died that fateful day nearly 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You can learn more about Paul's or Pauline's tribute at um, uh, Paulie's tribute at pauliespush.com. Drew, that this cart, I, I don't know if you saw the picture. I saw pictures. Yeah, it's it's got the old American Airlines livery, the double mm-hmm. A, the old tulip, and it's got the names of all the crew members on it. This is this is an incredible story. It's, it's yeah. Sad Thank you for finding it. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw a video of, um, you know, there were some flight attendants joining him on part of the walk in their uniforms, which yeah. is cool. Doug, and for our listeners today, we remember the passengers and crew that we lost that day. And Polly, if you're listening, we join you in honoring the crews on those four flights. We're going to do something different. You know, we're not going to do our normal ending on this, Doug. We, we will end this show this week reading off the names of the crew members on the four flights that we lost. Yeah, the first one is American Airlines Flight 11. I, I'm going to probably lose it while I do this. You like can I, do it. Come yeah. on, we can both do it. <laughs> American Airlines Flight 11, Captain John Oganowski, First Officer Thomas McGinnis, Flight Attendants Barbara Aristugi, Jeffrey Coleman, Sarah Lowe, Karen Martin, Kathleen Nicosia, Betty Ong, Jean Roger, Diane Snyder, Amy Sweeney. I mean, it will be difficult to get through this, Doug, because... Some of these people on these flights, they were, I was working for the same carrier. So mm-hmm. they were literally my coworkers. United Airlines Flight 175, Captain Victor Saracini, First Officer Michael Horrocks, Flight Attendants Robert Fangman, Amy Jarrett, Amy King, Catherine Labori, Alfred Marchand, Michael Taru, and Alicia Titus. American Airlines Flight 77, Captain Charles Burlingame, First Officer David Char- Charleboy. Flight mm-hmm. attendants Michelle Michelle Heidenberger, Jennifer Lewis, Kenneth Lewis, and Renee May. All right. And the last one, United Airlines Flight 93, Captain Jason Dahl, First Officer Leroy Homer Jr., Flight Attendants Lorraine Bay, Sandra Bradshaw, Wanda Green, Cece Lyles, and Deborah Lush. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care and stay aviation tough. <laughs>